We created the name Man Way for Marvel. That was you. Yeah, this was me. Welcome to Mosaic of China, a podcast about people who are making their mark in China. I'm your host Oscar Fuchs. When you live overseas, in some ways you take a leap into a new identity. You need to figure out how to fit into a new culture while remaining true to your authentic self. Well, it's exactly the same story with brands. And the first thing to get right with brand identity is getting your name right in the first place. My guest today, Vladimir Jurovic, is an expert in this field since one of his specializations is in creating Chinese names for Western brands. It goes without saying that this episode will be of particular interest to all the language nerds out there. If you're one of these people, the best accompaniment to today's show would be my interview with the literary translator Gigi Chang from season one, episode twenty-four. Quickly before we start, in our conversation about the Chinese version of the brand Marvel, we forgot to mention that the Man in Manwei means comics, which you might otherwise know from the Japanese reading because it's the same Man as in the Japanese word manga. And also, it was Vladimir's birthday on the twenty-fifth, which was last Thursday. So, happy birthday, Vladimir! I'm here with Vladimir Jurovic. You are the CEO and founder of Labbrand. That's correct. What is Labbrand? Well, Labbrand, if you read it slowly, it's Labbrand. So, Lab is.、Um, Technology and inventive word, but it also in Latin it means working, like labor. You know,、uh, it means working on brands. So we do branding, and we have、uh, a story of 15 years now in China. And、uh, one of our famous service here is naming、uh, brands、uh, looking for a Chinese name. Excellent. Well, we'll go into that in a minute. But before we do. What is the object that you've brought that, in some way, identifies what you do here in China?、Uh, I took something very slim here, and maybe you have never seen that before.、Uh, I have not. What is that? Well, that's something、uh, that I kept、uh, for twenty years now,、uh, because that's something I got、uh, when I was a student in China in two thousand one. And this is called a fan piao. So this one is a zero point one jmb. At the time, <laughs> you can probably buy some rice and something. So that was basically the money and the currency we used at the canteen in the school. It was printed and made in nineteen eighty seven. Wow!、Uh, yeah. So yeah. So a bit of China history. So I thought this was interesting because、uh, it represents a little bit my shift. When I came to China from France, by the cheapest flight, stopping、uh, for hours in Bucharest.、Uh, wait, wait, wait! What was that airline called? <laughs> It was called Tarom at that time. Whoa! I、uh, am.、Yeah. <laughs> so、uh, actually,、uh, they even asked me for paying、uh, extra fees for my luggage during the stopover.、Uh, but then, yeah,、uh, arriving to China in two thousand one, I quit my job in France. I was just starting a career as a banker. All kind of sophisticated tools for measuring risk in markets—the ones that eventually bought down the whole world, right? Exactly. So I was escaping that. Actually, <laughs> I was just doing an internship, and they really thought I was crazy to take this plane through Romania to land into a university, totally immersed in a Chinese master degree program. Oh wow!、Mm. So I, I, I tried very hard, and、uh, yeah, eventually I managed to to go through that process. So that's how I landed. Wow.、Mm. Well, this is a good juncture for me to actually play you this clip. 
I think you should interview Vladimir Jurovich. Um, he's the founder of a great brand consulting company called Lab Brand. And you're going to have a blast uh, meeting him. Uh, he's extremely insightful. Um, and I can't wait to hear the answers uh, to the questions you're going to ask. <laughs> that was, of course, our mutual friend Stefan from season one. We met in Shanghai, actually, during a study trip uh, for one summer. And uh, we, we remained friends since then. Actually, I arrived slightly before him, to, and he followed me a few years later, I think inspired by all the passion I, I had for China. This is what I was going to say. Like, which one of you came first? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he was the first on Mosaic, though. So I think... Uh. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, let's fast forward away from the story of your Fan Piao and talk about today. So mm. tell us about what you're doing, particularly in the area of naming, as you said. Yeah. Well, naming, I, I didn't know it existed. For m many people I talked to, uh, they still uh, are surprised that this exists, but there is a job for naming brands or things or devices or categories of products, taglines. Uh, so there is a lot of verbal uh, creativity involved and there is no way to translate in a unique way an invented name, like a brand name. So you could have multiple ways to adapt it and there is not a total correspondence with the sounds of French, English, or any other language with the sounds you find in the Chinese language. So there are sounds that are pretty close, uh, some that do not exist. Um, and that actually creates uh, the opportunity to choose to pick up a way to be closer, either in sounds or even to depart from phonetics and try to give it uh, just a semantic uh, meaning that will represent. So um, because there is a choice to be made, some companies really found it a headache. My first uh, employer in China was Galerie Lafayette. So it's a famous French department store. And they had the question of what is our Chinese name. Uh, they had one, they were called Lao Foye, which is um, the uh, nickname of Tsisi. It's, uh, oh, yeah, <laughs> and it means actually, if you li read it literally, it's like old Buddha and something like Ye Ye, like grandpa. So it's a bit odd for a, a brand that is thinking about attributes of the capital of fashion, capital de la mode, you know, like something very uh, fashionable and trendy. Uh, but this name was very catchy for the Chinese. Everyone that hear it, they can remember it. The issue, it was not trademarkable. This legal issue is pretty common for many, many other brands. Um, today, when we create a name, um, you may imagine that it comes like a stroke of genius that you're thinking and you find one name. Actually, it doesn't come at all like that. When you try to use a name that you create, it has to be registered as a trademark. And the trademark system in China is very, very tricky or demanding because you need to be not only different from the other trademarks or the other names, but not easily confused with another one. So the usual rule is that out of usually three characters that represent the Chinese name, that actually two of them are different from any other trademark. So you, any you, other in your class, in, oh. in the, there's 45 class of products. So in, right. in your category that uh, it was comparable goods, you need to find actually a quite important space between your name and the other ones. That's the reason why when we create names, we have to expect that a lot of good ideas uh, won't be 
possible. And that's why we need to really look for a lot of names and explore edges in a way. Right, because when you're starting the process, you don't know which of those characters you're starting with are going to be clashes? Or do you start with those list of characters that you can't uh, use? You, you can't, because there are literally 20 millions of trademarks already registered. So you can't ah. really l- think about w- which one is available or not. But with experience, you will know which characters are um, rare enough to give you good chances that you won't um, step on another brand uh, too close, so to keep your distances. And, you know, I mentioned the 45 classes each product that you have, the class three is the class of cosmetics, for example, or class 25 for fashion. Those are very, very f- full of brands. So th- those are like, finding the name is like finding those little needles in a haystack, you know, like we create thousands of names just to be extracting a few. And that's, uh, that's part of the process. Wow. Well, I want to go into more details. Mm. But before that, let's jump back into the past then. Uh, You were working at Gallery Lafayette. You were on this project. You realized, whoa, this is a thing. So how did you go from there to having your own company? Yeah, I think when I was working was like uh, 2002, 2004. Oh, right. So this was their branding for when they were just in France. Exactly. As a destination. So when we did that project, we landed to a name that was very phonetic. So uh, we ended up with Lifeayetre. Uh, the CEO at the time said, well, if someone says the name in Chinese in a taxi, the taxi driver has to bring the customer to our door. So Lifeayetre, it is. Uh, and Lifeayetre means like lies, Pang Lai the lie. It's a dream island kind of. Oh, um, that one. You know, that one, with the lie with um, some herb on the top. You know, as <laughs> yes. the key of the. And then you have Fa France, of course, French. Very good. Oh, uh, that's uh, too good. Yeah, yeah, and to, to be the to. So phonetic, uh, yeah. I mm. like that. Okay, mm. so this is where it's like a big puzzle. Yeah, so I really love this uh, experience. Actually, to create this name, I went to look for an agency. And I was the client at that time. And I didn't manage to spot a naming agency in China. And I found it crazy because you had a lot of uh, feng shui masters that were doing naming sometime, but not in a way that was commercial enough for the needs of companies to really trust. Or t- not very easy communication, let's say. Right, because the feng shui masters would do things like count the strokes, right? Yeah, I don't really understand what they do, but they probably have some good principle. Yeah, so Feng Shui Master was not an option Gary Lafette will consider. And we found a design agency that tried to do it. But then they were presenting the work more like a creative purely without necessarily the interpretation that links with the strategy of the brand in a very thorough way. And we discovered that actually, if you present names in Chinese to an owner of a brand, when they see Chinese names, if you don't really immerse them in the space, it will be almost impossible for them to jump into one option. So I discovered that actually there was a bridge to make and this leap into a new identity that never overlaps exactly with the alphabetic name is something that needs a lot of facilitation. And it's such a unique skill because you are taking into account the brand values, Mm. you're taking into account the graphic, and of course the meaning, the sound, everything. There's such a lot of things that go into that. How long was it between you doing this project at Gallery Lafayette uh, until then you did your own company? Was it like, oh wow, this is it, and then you just quit and started, or? This project brought light to something, wow, I mean, this is exactly what I want to do. Because it's cultural, it's, it's linked with business, you need to interpret businesses. And, and then I start really to, to read about branding and, and to um, 
uh, try to understand what's a brand exactly, what's the dimension, uh, still seeing it a bit from a scientific mind. So it took me a year to really switch from that project to selling my first name for a client. Um, I borrowed a bit of money from a friend, um, actually 4,000 euro, not a lot, just a small help. And basically I, I started in 2005 Labrand. Tell me then if you can think of an example of one of the famous brands that you would have worked with that we all would know. Walk us through the process. Yeah, the story behind Marvel, because we created the name Manway for Marvel. That was you. Yeah, it was me. And I still remember a few other alternatives. I, mean, I remember something like Manxia, which Xia is more like a fighter, like the hero in that okay. sense. Whereas like Manway is even closer phonetically to Marvel. And yes. and Wei is actually a little bit more abstract because yes. Wei is like power. Of course, you have the power of the hero, but it could be also the power of the manga, of the, of the comics. So comics and power. And it's one brand that has a tremendous success. So we're lucky yeah. to have created that one. And then another one that I really love is LinkedIn, uh, Lingying in Chinese, which is the leading hero. Um, oh. Yeah, and we had a, a pretty strong candidate that was closer to LinkedIn. I will tell you in Chinese, it's Lian Ying. Lian means- Connection. Lian connection. And Ying is Ying guy. The Ying is ah. means like must, must connect, should mm. connect. Like, so it's really like LinkedIn in a linked and uh, you have to be linked. Interesting. So, so, so it was that or leading hero? Or leading hero. And you can uh, he easily get that leading hero is much more aspirational and uh, there is a dimension of um, an elite. Uh, and, right. and it's not equalitarian like LinkedIn, if you hear the English name or uh, alphabetic name is, looks much more you know, like a community and it's just about being connected. But in China, we, we did the research in Greater China and we find out that this one was the one that really had a lot of resonance with the target. So we, we, we went for this recommendation. I think uh, it's also interesting because I learned still interpretations of the name, a lot of positive echo, and uh, it's still like uh, there's a lot of fans about it. So, um, And so is there a word for this science? could be called semiotics, the science of the production of meaning. And um, recently I was reading a book from Bart, the famous French semiotician. He's interpreting the different uh, style of writing of French famous writers, one of them being Proust, for example. Oh. Actually, Proust wanted to become a writer, but he was, he was really st stuck for many years before he was able to write his book. And what unlocked his ability to write was to choose invented names for the places <laughs> in the book. Until he set up the names, he was stuck in his creative process. It resonated with me when I read that because I felt like when we choose names for companies or in China, it's actually also unlocking this capability to perform. So, yeah. I knew that if I invited a French person into this podcast studio, at one point we'd have to talk about philosophy. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it, it looks like very, you need a lot of knowledge and science. Actually, the, the codes, we as humans, we are processing a lot of codes to make sense of the world all the time. Right. So it's really our embedded software for making sense of the world. It's, it, what is interesting when you use semiotics, you become more conscious about it and you can help company to use them for the purpose of bringing a specific meaning. It's, so it's very hard to 
carve out a meaning in the world right now, and that's what brands are about. So that's mm -hmm. a challenge, for example, for companies uh, to think about that. So it's broader than the name, of course, but it can go into design, into messaging, into many ways. This was the thing that you know first drew you to this whole business. How much of your current business is still related to this naming side? Yeah, roughly, if you talk about numbers, is is a smaller part now. I mean, uh, it's still something we are known for, but I would say it's likely like twenty percent. A lot of the work is about brand positioning, consumer insights, uh, digital experience, cultural transformation, a variety of things. And yeah, we're we're still very proud of doing naming. It's actually still for me, it's still an area that I feel so passionate about. So it's my favorite part. But our team is doing. A variety of things now. I, of course, love the naming part too. <laughs> okay, great. So, <laughs> but is there something that you're particularly proud of that you're doing in the new realm? Facilitating the communication within teams because what I've observed is a lot of drop of value between what we get in the insight report and when the creative start to work. It's almost like everyone has a different interpretation. Getting them to understand the chain having a common language and getting the people in a room to, to exchange this information and yes. work on it together. Well, I think anyone from any business can listen to that and know that they have similar silos in their organizations. Mm. Just the different cultures between, let's say, a research department versus marketing versus sales versus operations versus HR. Like, they all would come to the same thing with a different angle. And I think you as a CEO, it is your responsibility to think about that and to work out how you get these people coalesced together. Absolutely. And, you know, after 15 years of working on brands and working like an agent, that's, um, uh, I would say, how we redefine a little bit what branding is because I think if if we consider branding just being creating a name, a logo, fine. I mean, we are expert in doing this, but actually if you don't help also the company to also manage the culture, a lot of what we provide is, is lost. Yeah. Yeah. That's an interesting segue. You come in with the name, then you can do work on the branding, and then you can do work on a, a culture transformation. Exactly. I see. So we're coming to the end of part one. I'm just, you know, normally at this point, I've talked to somebody for this length of time, and I can kind of get a good sense of who you are. <laughs> for you, the way that I describe you is that you're this scientist with a little wink. <laughs> you're a scientist with a smile. Have I got that right? Like, how would you describe your personality? I think very optimistic, and, and I found joy in the curiosity of things. So I feel like China was a very nice playground in that. I started without too much experience. So in a way, I was lucky not to know what's to be perfect and to be constantly in a field when you know I was progressing, but I didn't know how far was the, <laughs> the, the goal that I should reach. So not being knowing that was actually quite helpful. Actually, I have a, one favorite T-shirt I could have bring. It's called Imperfect. So, um, and it can be read like I am perfect, if ah. you read. So uh, I think that's a very interesting combination. So because I think as long as you don't necessarily picture and obsessed by not failing or not looking down when you have vertigo, you are in, still in a good place. So that's why actually I'm, I'm so maybe with a smile because uh, I, I feel very happy and privileged being there. Nice. <laughs> well, we'll move on to part two. Let's go. Okay, on to part two. I asked the same 10 questions to everyone on the show. Mm -hmm. And so we will start with question one. What is your favorite China-related fact? 
Mm. I, I was reopening Sun Tzu Art of War. It's a teaching material for kings and lords. Um, and it's 2,500 years ago. And when I was reading it, I was still getting a lot of ideas that are so contemporary. And um, one of the principles was the Tao, for example, the ethics, the, the road, the purpose. I was quite happy to see that Sun Tzu precept of like the best way to win a war and to build your team is to work on your DAO, which is, I think, part of what a brand do. So I was like, mm, not too bad. So uh, th this fact of how long ago that was and how much it applies to today's world, and it relates in a way to what I do. So I felt like this fact is still something that is very memorable for me. Nice. Mm -hmm. And I like it how you can distill 3,000 years of Taoism into branding. <laughs> <laughs> of course. <laughs> There's actually an interesting connection with season one because Maple Zwo, who was episode mm. two of mm. last season, she also was talking about Dao in this question. Mm. So that's oh, a nice connection. Mm. Do you have a favorite word or phrase in Chinese? Mm. The one I, uh, I like is a story I heard from my teacher uh, when I was in my second year of Chinese uh, learning. Uh, it's, um, it's a story about the character Shi, to be. Okay. Yeah, so... To be very simple, uh, but how do you create an ideogram about that? And the interesting story is that if you look at it, uh, you have a, a gen on the bottom uh, that is a person, and somehow he seems to be walking into something that is an obstacle. And then there is a horizontal bar, and above that you have the sun. So. The story could be like you are when you meet a problem and when you faced a difficulty and when you start to see the light. And uh, I like the, the story, this show character. Right. It's almost like Descartes, right? I mm. think, therefore I am. I, exactly. <laughs> I run into obstacles <laughs> under the sun, therefore I am. I think resonance with Descartes was probably part of why uh, I was so impressed by that story. Yep. There you go. Mm -hmm. I actually met you on your level. I can't believe it. I don't care about people who actually know the real answer. I am uh, sticking with yours. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> what is your favorite destination within China? It's actually the Inner Mongolia. I, I have the occasion to go there for a run about every year in a marathon in the grassland. Oh, I know uh, it. Yeah. Uh, and uh, in a small place called Siwuchi. You can easily get out of it, run out of it, and get into uh, running in those uh, green hills. Uh, it's beautiful. There's occasions to see double, triple rainbows and uh, to reconnect uh, with the elements. So definitely one, one of the places I like in China. Yeah, I really want to go there. But things are such long distances that you have to really plan a whole week to really see most of what you want to see, right? Mm. Yeah, I go there, uh, obviously, with a goal to, to run a race and come back and uh, spend some time there. So not dwelling a week yes. and traveling around. But um, I like the focus. I like the simplicity of it. I like to walk on the street. There's still like some old cars because it's closer to Russia, some Volga brands. So, so, so there's a bit of uh, exotism, but uh, I like to run out of the city in the hills. Nice. Yeah. I love the way French people say focus. <laughs> if you left China, what would you miss the most and what would you miss the least? The spices of China, um, literally and uh, in a metaphorical way. I think there is uh, so much flavors, so much things to experiment. So 
of course the scale also of things which make you can see things that you can't imagine uh, in other places and I would say the same thing that I won't miss <laughs> I won't miss is the scale if one day I leave China will be because I want to go into a smaller place to live right. uh, in a more simple way yeah. Uh, and yeah and uh, yeah okay next question is there anything that still surprises you about life in China this week I was driving back from a meeting in Pudong and it gets me to uh, one of the avenues on the in the north of Shanghai like towards Changshu, Lu, Tianmolu, and I, I thought the whole avenue for kilometers was under reconstruction. I, I saw China like that uh, 20 years ago. I saw also this 10 years ago, but in Shanghai, I mean, this year I still see a lot of construction. It ki- keeps surprising me to see that uh, that level of uh, undertaking. Yeah. yeah. Where is your favorite place to go out, to eat or drink or hang out? Well, well I'd love to travel in time when Face Bar was there. The, that was a place uh, in Ritinlu, Maomingloo. It used to be a, a red brick house with wonderful cocktails. Currently, I mean, I, I think I really enjoy something that is really close to my place. I go to a small Japanese restaurant called Sime. Interesting Mexican dish interpretation by Japanese chef and stuff. And it's a quite small place. So see you there. <laughs> okay. <laughs> see you, probably see you there. Yeah. What is the best or worst purchase you have made in China? Uh, one surprisingly good purchase was um, chairs I bought at IKEA. I bought them 15 years ago for my office and um, I keep getting uh, customers that ask me where I bought it. They think it's super designed and and it's just uh, very modern. Mm. Mm. What is your favorite WeChat sticker? I never use stickers. So uh, I didn't want to be uh, inauthentic and try to find one, but I use a lot uh, the the emoticons. So I don't use stickers, but I use emoticons. And uh, my favorite one is the determined one with the bandana. It looks very much like me running. Uh, <laughs> uh, it represents me. So I didn't check that box, but I hope, I hope you will give me a pass. Well, I would ordinarily just chuck you out, but we're almost at the end of the interview. So so what can I do? (laughs) I actually like this one too. This is a particular WeChat emoticon. There isn't something which is in the usual emoji which comes close to this one, right? It's true. I never realized that. But uh, (laughs) That's why it it passes the test. You can still use that. Thank you. That's just an exception. What is your go-to song to sing at KTV? <laughs> so people that know me will know that the thing I fear most <laughs> is to go to a KTV. It has to be a client asking me ah. or I need to be super drunk to be able to accept the invitation. I was actually, I think, terrorized because one of my first trip and my first internship in China we happened to think in a lobby of a hotel. Oh. And I realized that my thinking was going in the whole building. What? So what, what kind of terrible hotel was this? It's a building. It's the hotel in Shenyang, 1999 or 2000. Oh. So it was a long time yeah. ago. But today, if I had to do it, I would probably go for Zhen Xianqi, which is a Chinese uh, pop singer 20 years ago, I mean, he sing very simple songs like Doemi and the New Heart, Kang Guo Lai, Kang Guo Lai, this type of thing, very lighthearted. And uh, I think that I can do. Um, Vladimir, it's the same song that Stefan chose. No way. <laughs> <laughs> but but uh, there's one reason for that is that we had the same teacher in Chinese and probably we learned it at that time. I ah. must say there is a reason. Maybe. Yes. Mm. 
Well, since knowing it from Stefan, I've learned that song. It's super easy. That's why. I mean, that's the only one I could pretend to sing. So I keep it. So. And finally, what other China-related media or sources of information do you rely on? Mm. I got curated content twice a week at the occasion of my Chinese class because mm. uh, my Chinese teacher uh, will pick up the curated content from the news and we will be having a review of uh, very good content. And so I'm learning language, but actually I'm learning a whole story of, um, of topics. And I learn things that I never read in the media usually. So. That's excellent. Well, thank you so much for that, Vladimir. And finally, the last thing before you leave. Who would you recommend that I interview in the next season of Mosaic of China? Bertrand Christo. He has arrived in China uh, around 20 years before me. Most interestingly, he has recently opened a vineyard. Oh, oh a, a vineyard. A vineyard. So <laughs> a vineyard uh, in <laughs> Yunnan. Ah. And um, that's for sure one that I will listen to uh, <laughs> uh, next season. So I'm really looking forward to hear Bertrand next year. Thanks so much, Vladimir. Thanks. Thanks, Oscar. I don't have favorites in this podcast, but I'll always be a fan of anyone who inhabits that space between languages where you have sounds and meanings on one side that simply do not correspond with the other. It reminds me of the episode with Srinivas Yanamandra from Season 1, Episode 15, who philosophized that saying his name in Chinese was about as futile as trying to say his name in mathematics. Srini and Vladimir, if you're both listening, you need to get together. If you're a fan of playing around with Mandarin, I want to recommend you listen to the Mandarin Slang Guide podcast with Josh Ogden Davis. He has nothing to do with this show. I just like him as a person and like what he does. So go check it out. And please also check out the images from today's episode on the new Instagram account for the show on the handle Mosaic of China. I rebuilt it from scratch after the old ones got taken down. It's got a whole new look and it has zero followers, so it's tremendously exclusive right now. And speaking of exclusive, if you want to hear some more from Vladimir, including the story behind how he came up with the Chinese name for TripAdvisor, please subscribe to the premium version of the show on patreon.com slash mosaicofchina. Here are a few clips from today's episode. There is another big issue when you choose name is the different dialects in China. So. Oh. So when you, you basically people could imagine that the roof was coming on the uh, falling on the head. We have more than a dozen of namers. We're probably the biggest naming team in the world, actually. The eagle with the cat's head, Mao To Ying. Yeah, Mao To Ying. Twenty people that speak Chinese with a different background. They will perceive the name twenty different perception. There might be some job openings. Uh, so. <laughs> No, I'm unemployable at this point. <laughs> <laughs> and that's all for today. Mosaic of China is me, Oscar Fuchs, with artwork by Denny Newell. After the credits, today's catch-up chat is with the person who referred Vladimir, Stefan de Mongro, from Season 1, Episode 19. So stick around for that, and we'll be back next week. Thank you for coming, Stefan. Good afternoon. Great to see you again, Oscar. Yes. We recorded our interview in late 2019, and then we released it just before 
the Chinese New Year. We were talking about, you know what, 2020 would be a better year for hotels because it had been a little bit flat in 2019. Sure. And that was literally the week before COVID struck. Correct. It's been a very, very intense year. So we, we are in the event industry, right? So our job is to get people together. The most um, ironic thing is that um, the Q1 we prepared uh, for 2020 was the best Q1 ever in the history of the company. I've been here for 20 years. The company is 13 years old. And then obviously, uh, January 23rd, uh, they had to shut down uh, Wuhan and Hubei. So I left on that same day for Chinese New Year break. Um, and I went to my Bangkok office because I wanted to keep working while China was getting some rest. It was supposed to be a 10 days break from China. It ended up being a two month. And from very, very, very early I understood we were in big trouble. At some point, I just asked myself, okay, like, sh should I just give up? Like, should we, right. should we just call it a day? The beautiful thing is after I was asking myself this, this question, uh, the answer is, damn, I love my job. So I will do everything I can to make it work. So it's all about the domestic demands. Um, and it's very interesting because a lot of the uh, wealthier uh, Chinese people that were used to spend some of their money outside of China traveling, uh, buying luxury goods, now have no options but to spend that same money within the country. Uh, and that's been supporting um, a lot of the luxury brands, luxury hotels um, that we are working with. So it's not all rosy. Not everyone was able to keep the same income. Some people are still working on a four days a week uh, basis with some salary cuts. But overall, uh, the economy is, is healthy and most of the brands we are working with um, are doing very, very good. And, and spending more uh, in uh, developing the, the demand and the growth for, for 2021. Well, what it does is I think it does give hope to people who are listening, perhaps not in China. The rebound, when it happens, it happens big. And people who have been stuck indoors, people who haven't traveled, they all suddenly will travel and it'll be a huge bounce, right? Yes, I completely agree with you. The hope is there. And uh, the Chinese market is a living proof that when you give them the opportunity uh, to spend money and travel, they will uh, do so. So very hopeful for the future of tourism and, and travel um, in, in general. Well, the one thing that I took into account from our last chat was your recommendation that I run by the river because mm. I was making excuses that I am not doing enough running. Well, I didn't do it. <laughs> I'm still not running because I just can't be bothered to jump on the subway and go to stops. Mm. I mean, that's just how my mind works. If there's any obstacle, I'm not going to do it. But what I did do, so when I have a meeting, I try and make sure that I build enough time into my schedule that I can walk there. Okay. So now I walk to meetings, I walk back. Good. So I'm doing something for my health, but I am still not running. But it's, I think it's exactly the same spirit. You just need running, walking. It's about giving uh, your brain the space to process. I can tell you, running saved my year again. It was so hard. There was so much to process, making the right decisions at the right time, not wasting time in uh, taking the hard decisions that you have to take sometimes. And running was more than ever my way to process this amount of information we were getting and, and trying to make sense of, okay, what is the best way to, to move forward? So I, I invite you again, <laughs> Oscar, you can do this. 
<laughs> by the third time we sit down together, you'll be running marathon. <laughs> uh, I mean, I've done them in the past. That's the problem. I just, for some reason, can't bring myself to go back. I still get what you're doing. I still have ideas. They're just at a slower pace. I'm, I'm not running anywhere fast. <laughs> as long as he works for you, that's all that matters. Thank you. Uh, we are going to release this episode alongside the person who you referred for season two. So that was Vladimir. Have you been in touch with Vladimir? More than ever. Um, one of the benefits of being somehow stuck in, in one city is that you have a lot more time to actually develop relationships and friendships with the people around you. This year, we've been actually uh, able to spend uh, weekly dinners uh, together, usually on Wednesday night. Uh, it's been uh, absolutely beautiful to be able to exchange with people that were going through the same kind of challenges. Uh, so we are closer than we've ever been. And Vladimir is a friend of 20 years and 2020 brought us back together uh, more than we've ever been. Stefan, thank you so much. Fantastic. Thank you for having me again.